everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Daddy vs. Doctor. Here are your hosts, pediatrician Dr. Scott Cohen and comedian Sebastian Maniscalco. Very special guest here today on Daddy vs. Doctor. Guy's got so many titles. Podcaster, author entrepreneur, motivational speaker. It goes on and on and on. I was on his podcast maybe two or three years ago. Ed Milet, thank you for being here. Great to be here. Uh, so many questions to ask you. And, and Dr. Cohen and I were talking before the podcast. I think it's fascinating what you do as a human being, motivating people. Uh, I often go to your Instagram for these motivational tidbits that you do. It's 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 so diverse what you're putting up. It's you got some great guests on your podcast. What I like about you is you're very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You tell the people you're going through it. You yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and my first question is before before we go back yeah. to the beginning. Yeah. My first question is: <laughs> Does a motivational speaker listen to other motivational speakers? <laughs> like, what yeah. motivates you? How do you get motivated? Yeah. Um, by the way, that term even makes me cringe. Like, I oh, think what, if, what is I think, it? What, what's the term? Oh no, no, no! I think you're probably right. I mean, I try to inspire people. Maybe it's life strategy or transformation goes, but definitely, man, you're a motivational speaker. I just think of Chris. Uh, what's the big dude uh, that was the comedian on on Saturday Night Live? Farley, Chris Farley. Yeah, yeah, living in a van down by the river. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what I think of, and I think of motivational speakers. But uh, yeah, I listen to the other ones, but probably like you do, I listen to them probably not to get motivated, but I want to see how they roll out their content how they frame things. You know, I look at it more from like a strategic thing. You probably do that with a few other stand-ups. I mean, you have your own style. I have my own style, but I want to see how they roll things out. I don't like to listen to a lot of them because I want to have my own original stuff. And sometimes I think, you know, you don't even mean to do it, but if you see a really good idea from somebody or a way they phrase things, you start to plagiarize almost, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because it's so good. You might twist it a little bit. So I don't do a lot of that. But my inspirational stuff, there's some guys, the best speakers, the two best speakers in the world categories are what you do, stand-ups, to walk out and make people laugh that are strangers and the way you roll things out and the way you work your bits. They're the best speakers in the world, so I watch a lot of them. That's how I knew you. And then I watch a lot of preachers. I watch these guys that are these big preachers because they're incredible orators. So some of those guys inspire me. And then it's like people in my personal life. I kind of got a personal board of directors of people who kind of hold me accountable, tell me really what's up, and they inspire me every single day. So I have that more than I have the other people in the space that are maybe like my peers, because I don't want to get their stuff. I want to have my own stuff. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I do that to a comedian. Sometimes you start to listen to a comedian, you're like, oh, wow, that's like what they're doing. Yeah. And just through osmosis, I think you start going. You do. You start acting like them a little bit. You do, and you got your own style, and I do too, but it's like it might even be just a concept too. You know what I mean? I don't want to have any of that stuff, not pollute my mind because their stuff's great, but then you're just doing impressions of other people. Yeah. And that's not that's not the real deal. Take, take us back, because I thought it was really interesting. You were a high school athlete, mm-hmm. maybe on the track for the you mm-hmm. know Major League Baseball. I mean, mm-hmm. you look like you could play right now. De- um, yeah, definitely not. And, then, <laughs> and <laughs> then you had an injury, and mm-hmm. you mentioned that your father, you know, sort of helped you start working with a disadvantaged youth, and, mm-hmm. and that was sort of like a, a turning point for you. 
Yeah, it was. So I got into personal development mainly so that I could baseline function as a human. Okay. I mean, I was my dad was an alcoholic till I was 15. Then he got sober. So when you're raised that way, there's a lot of emotional imprinting that mm-hmm. happens to all kids, no matter what how their parents acted. But my dad certainly had some stuff, right? So I kind of got into this space a little bit to like have decent confidence as a human being, like just get by. Baseball ends. My dad gets sober. I always say life's happening for you, not to you. And that sounds hokey, but here's proof. My dad's first AA meeting, first one he goes to, comes back from the meeting. I'm living at his house, sleeping in my bed, same teddy bear on the bed, same Farrah Fawcett poster on the wall, shows you my age. And uh, my dad goes, hey, I got you a job. And I'm like, well, what is it? You know, I got a college degree. Yeah. He goes, you don't get to fucking choose what the job is. You're eating out of my fridge. Get your ass down there. I don't know what it is. Show up, walk in. I don't know what it is. I say, I'm Eddie Milet. I'm here for the job. They go, what's the job? I go, I don't even know what this place is. They go, come back when you know. And I go, I get to the door, literally get to the door, and I go, some guy named Tim is the guy my dad knows from a meeting he was at. We got three Tims here. And I'm not supposed to say this. I go, it was an AA meeting. He goes, oh, drunk Tim, Cottage 8, go to Cottage 8. I walk in, and and I didn't know it was an orphanage. Mm. And so all my boys there were wards of the court. Their parents were either dead, incarcerated, or had molested them. All 8 and 10 years old. Immediately, I'm 22 years old. I'm their dad. I'm their big brother. I gotta, I'm there on Christmas when their parents aren't there. I'm taking them trick-or-treating. I take them to school every day. And I instantly became a father. Totally unqualified, by the way. I don't have any of my own kids. I'm not a shrink. But I really believe this in life. You're most qualified to help the people or person you used to be. And I had something in common with these mm-hmm. dudes. I know what it's like to grow up. We have different eyes, man. I know what it's like to grow up in turmoil and anxiety. Now, mine wasn't the same as theirs, but I had that. Something else happened there. I'm like, oh, shit, I love this helping people thing and humans are hurting particularly kids i got something i can do here it was like six bucks an hour minimum wage back then and i stayed there for years in fact i had started side businesses making a lot of money and i would not leave there until i had i just had to at some point and then you know obviously i made some comments to myself that i'd go back and help that place out but it altered my life because all of a sudden i'm like oh this is this stuff kind of fills me up like i this this is better than like a lambo yeah. Mm-hmm. It turns out helping these kids and helping people, I'm good at it, mm-hmm. and I like it, and I don't get tired of it. And that led to kind of what I do now, building businesses and, you know, same time trying to help adults. Because most of these kids, frankly, came from parents that didn't like themselves or were messed up as well. Mm-hmm. So I figured maybe I'll help the parents instead of the kids. Now I kind of do both. Just sitting here listening to you talk, the voice that you have is, I don't want to say radio voice, but mm-hmm. the voice commands attention did mm-hmm. you always know that when you spoke that people were mm-hmm. drawn into this voice because mm-hmm. I, I don't know i don't know if it's i don't know mm-hmm. voices but is that like a baritone it's it mm-hmm. just it's, it's very heavy and it mm-hmm. feels like you could command a room which you yeah. do mm-hmm. did you know this early on or mm-hmm. is this something that you're like developed over time not not necessarily your voice but no. like how to use it yeah um oh, i have a face certainly for radio um and the voice <laughs> but i yeah, my dad had a real deep voice. And as a kid, in fact, I've kept my dad's passed away. I have like three voicemails I never deleted from my dad, so I can still hear his voice. You know, wow. hey, kid, like you, by the way, because I've watched you, you've worked on your voice a little bit. I don't know if you've done it intentionally or not, but you go back and watch some of your old stand up. I study the best communicators, man. And obviously, you know that I think the world of you, your voice is even a little bit deeper than it was when you started. Part of that's probably age, but you use your voice differently. I knew one of my gifts in speaking and influencing people was I had a pretty commanding voice. At the same time, I've trained it too. Like I'm conscious of 
you know, if I want to make an authoritative point, I can make it a little bit deeper than it is and go a little bit louder than I need it to be. And so I wanted as a speaker, I'm not super tall, but I wanted my physical presence to be make a statement. You know, you walk in a room, you're really fit. Like I told you when I walked in, you guys are both really fit men. I think what you physically look like, I don't tell you how handsome you are, but your physical presence makes a statement and can command something. And so that was important to me. And then, yeah, using my voice, like if I'm going to be a communicator, I got to be able to use it. It's one of the few gifts I was given. So, yeah, and it does help me. I do notice, like, if I'll speak at a panel, there's like, say, six speakers at an event. I do notice, you know, if I'm not not bragging, but when I walk out immediately, if they've not heard me before, like within a minute, they're like, oh, I kind of see him sit up. Mm-hmm. And I think the voice is certainly part of that. Yeah, no, it's definitely prevalent, especially in this room. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> so is the breath. We're really close to each other. I mean, here, I sat so up you know. straight. I should probably listen to what he has to Pay say. Pay attention, damn it. No, it's, it's, it's interesting what you said about, you know, working with the youth and that you didn't necessarily have, you know, the knowledge to do so, which I equate a lot to parenting, right? We all go into yeah. parenting. We have no yeah. clue what we're doing. Yes. You know, I, I always joke, I thought I would have perspective taking care of thousands of kids mm-hmm. that I would come home with my baby and I would just know everything mm-hmm. and clueless. The first kid, you just can't gain perspective. I, you hold, you stare, you fix. I remember yeah. holding Aubrey and the phone ringing and being like, can somebody get the phone? Why don't I just put her down and get the phone? The second kid, you're just like, they're over there, right? It's so true. You just, right? you just have no idea. Um, but I mean, you you have given talks and, and encourage, you know, celebrities, like mm-hmm. you said, business people, athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that translates to the parenting world? Maybe that's, is that the next career? You should be doing seminars for parents. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with you. I don't think there's a lot of transference. That This parenting thing is a whole different deal, brother. Yeah. And it's just different when they're yours. Like, I'll see other, I remember before I had kids, I see a kid on an airplane crying. I'm like, what didn't you... <laughs> Dial the kid down, yeah, yeah. like dial. You know what I'm saying? You, and when it's your own kid, you're like, I'm trying over here, right? right? So, now I don't think a lot of it transferred over. And I did realize pretty early on. I mean, I made all of the. It's actually, I'm really glad most people did not have a video camera on me as a dad most of the time mm-hmm. because I don't think they probably take any of my advice in the real world because I still made all of the stupid mistakes at soccer games or right. You're getting too wound up about something, and yeah, yeah. I'd make all those normal right. mistakes as a dad. So. I don't think a lot of it transferred over. One thing did. As a parent with kids, I think most things are caught, not taught. And so I was aware of that. Like, my dad had different behaviors than me. But I caught, like, I have a different career. I even behave a little bit different than my dad. But I caught my dad's emotional imprinting. I caught it. My dad had a tendency to get melancholy real easy. You know what I mean? Like, just that, my dad did. I could just see my dad sitting on the couch, no reason at all. Like the weight of the world on his shoulders on a Sunday for what's nothing's wrong right, right. now, you know, or tendency to get to anger real quick, mm-hmm. get disrespected real easy. Uh, worry. That's a chronic worrier, right? I all those emotional imprints I inherited. Mm-hmm. He put them on me. I'm 40 years old. My dad's still alive. Every time we would get off the phone, he'd go, hey, be careful. Like that was his tagline when we'd hang up. He said, my dad must have told me to be careful literally 17,000 times in my life. Seriously. Causing worry. What am, yeah. I, what am I being careful yeah. for right now? I'm at the house. It's a Saturday. Like, But it's this, no, this notion. So when I did have kids, I'm like, they're going to catch this. How happy are we? How much joy is there in the house? How much laughter? There wasn't laughter in my house enough, right? So some of these things... I don't, they were going to get my brain or not even necessarily my personality, but I don't want them to wake up at 30 and go, why am I down? Yeah. Why am I depressed? Why am I so worried all the time? And to this day, I still go, what do we, 
Everything's good. Yeah. What am I doing? Why do I just wake up feeling like this? I watch my dad do it every day of his life. And as a consequence, my mom. Mm -hmm. So they were beautiful people, but there's those emotional maps mm -hmm. I caught. And I don't want my kids to catch it. So you have like catastrophic thinking. It, like I, I look at it. I have this. I worry a lot. Yeah. Uh, I was just on vacation with my wife and we had the nanny here and the kids while the kids are sleeping. I tap into the nest camera before I even look at the camera. I, in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to see the nanny racing the kids out of a burning house. Mm -hmm. Right. But mm -hmm. when I see them, they're sleeping. Yep. Do you do this much of worrying? Is, is that you? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and are you aware of it? And are you able to control it? Yeah, I am better. Just like you're better at it than you think you are. So yes, um, I remember, you know, when I was, when they were little and I found out how normal this is, the morbid thoughts I would have. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have those? Oh, like yeah. the pool or whatever, like mm -hmm. these morbid, horrible thoughts yeah, and, yeah. and out of nowhere. One, I think that's born in love. Number one. Um, I do have them. When you have an awareness of something you do, it loses about half its power over you. So one of the things I do have going for me is when I'm doing it, I go, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Yeah. And I got some kind of anchors and trigger things I teach to, like to athletes and business people or speakers or whatever that I actually use with myself to change my state. Because I do. I have, imagine this, Sebastian. Mine are both away at college now. I got a daughter at Clemson who's a sophomore. It's a Saturday night. She's at a frat party. Oh yeah, that's I, over. I want you to imagine oh, those I'm, thoughts. I'm, I'm, I don't even have I don't even have a kid in college, yeah. and I, eight thoughts went through my head. <laughs> that's what I'm telling you. You just went to lock up right? Seraphine. Uh, and you know, measure, it's right? like it's and part it. of this sentence. The other thing I don't want to do because I have this tendency. I'm like, hey, text me when you get home. Bella Boo, Daddy loves you. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. You know, do all these things. Right. Yeah, Dad. Yeah, Dad. Yeah, Dad. And the repetitive nature of it, I think I've drowned her out. Where if I was more selective in my feedback, it'd be a little bit better. So. Yeah, I have that. It's like, I think that's part of what you sign up for when you're a parent. Like, you're just gonna, my mom still worries about me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, still has a little bit of that. But I don't want to project onto them too much of this, like, weight, like a weight that I put on my kids. And I did do a lot of that when they were little. I think I'm a little bit better at it now. But, like, these are the, I have two. Mm -hmm. I don't have 5,000. You know, you got a million fans. I got whatever fan. Like, I got two babies, man. This is it. This is my entire life for these two people same time i want to give them enough space that they're living their own life they don't feel the pressure to make me proud all the time maria shriver is a pretty good friend of mine and she was on my show recently she said something that just blew my mind she's talking about her dad and her dad's been passed away for many many years and and maria's not you know 30 years old anymore and she says eddie she says uh i still take actions every single day trying to get my dad's approval Wow. And he's been dead for whatever it is, a decade. Wow. And I went, wow, you know, I do a little of that too still. It's not just to make him proud of me. It's like to get his approval. Yeah. And he's not even here anymore. It's crazy. I don't want to put that on my kids. You know what I mean? I want them to want to make me proud. There's a little bit of that. But I don't want them to feel this pressure of always having to get my approval. One thing my dad did that was a mistake is, if I'm being deep here, I conflated getting love from people with getting their admiration and recognition. And a lot of people do this. And the reason was the only time my dad, my old man, really showed me love is if I achieved something. Bring home an A, I love you. Hit a home run, I love you. Everyday life, not a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And so I've grown, why do you build muscles and make hundreds of millions of dollars and do stuff? 
to get my dad's approval, which I think is love, but it's not right. And I think it's something to be as parents to be really careful of that. We want to give them recognition and acknowledgement. We want them to, there's a little bit of making us proud, but I don't want them to think love is recognition, especially my daughter. Mm. I don't want my daughter to be, believe getting attention from a man is necessarily love. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I started to pay attention to finally when she became a teenager. I think there's a lot of young women out there that were raised by dads who were loving, but it was more like when they achieve or they do something to get attention. And now we wonder why they want to go get attention from men in mm-hmm. a way that's unhealthy. And so it's one of the things that I've always kind of been really guarded about when she got older. Well, I, I want to speak to that point about your father giving you approval uh, when you did something great, right? Mm-hmm. If it was any other way, would you be as successful as you are no, today? No, Right? So, like, would you rather have had mm-hmm. the love for just being mm-hmm. Ed yep. or the way he did it kind of created this man who all of a sudden becomes, mm-hmm. you know, really successful. So yeah. I often say that with my father, my, my father is, you know, you write new material. Are you, did, did this, yeah. you know, and it, it's, he's gotten better at it, mm-hmm. but if he wasn't that way, mm-hmm. would I be the man I am today? No, I wouldn't have achieved all this stuff. And so there's a nuance to it. That's why this stuff is a, as a, as a dad, it to me is more art than science. There's a nuance to it. My dad probably could have been a, done a better job once in a while of going, hey, kiddo, you don't need a home run today. I'm going to love you just as much. Mm-hmm. But then when I hit one, get a lot of acknowledgement. If I'm being really deep, you're talking about me being vulnerable all the time. I, my wife always say, I get the feeling with Lana this is true. Like, my wife's kind of easy happy. Oh, yeah. It's not conditional. Like, most days my w- wife wakes up happy. My happiness is probably far too conditional. And I get the feeling yours is a little bit too. Not to put, I don't want to pretend I know you more than I do, mm-hmm. but... Like conditions have to be really met for me to go. Ah, yeah, right? it's always. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. And then, and then it's also just very short lived. And then we're on to the next thing I'm yes, worried about really, that I'm going to do. Yeah, right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, it's great. I've made lots of money and helped lots of people, and you know, had a beautiful life. And I wouldn't trade that. Same time, if you made life, if life is measured on the emotional quality of your life, I don't know how successful I've been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm, you know, if I'm being really honest, like as I've gotten older, I've started to like you think about it in life, you make all these goals. I want to have sell this many downloads. I want to do this or this on my tour. I want to help this many people make this much money, build my practice to a certain size. We have all these external goals, yet we don't really ever set up any emotional goals. We don't go this year is going to be the year of bliss or the year of peace or I'm going to actually work on my emotional makeup. And so it wasn't until like maybe 10 years ago that I started going, wow, you like have an emotional home. You, I find a way in my life, no matter what the conditions are, to find the same six or seven emotions pretty regularly. No matter what's going on in a given week, I will find a way to get worried. I will find a way to feel a little bit of fear. I will find a way to create a little bit of chaos. I'll find a way to do that. Whereas what if the things I found were, I'm going to find a way to get a little bit more peace, a little bit more ecstasy, a little bit more joy, a little bit more calmness, a little bit more serenity in my life. But I was never intentional about it, so I just mapped it. I just patterned it all my life. So yeah, my dad helped me get a lot of stuff, and I'm grateful for that, and I wouldn't change it. Same time, could have done a little bit better job at imprinting in there a little bit more calmness and bliss and peace. Yeah. 
that I want to have. Mm-hmm. But you know, because it's sad, human nature is we get accolades for the good grades and mm-hmm. for the 100 million downloads and yeah. the my, but you don't get it for necessarily the hard work you put into it or the mm-hmm. emotions that you got out of it. And you mm-hmm. probably know this, there's been some recent studies about that with two groups of kids and basically one group of kid kids, they take a test and one group you say, great job, you got the A. And the other group you said, great job on all the hard work you did. And then you take those two groups again and they take tasks and the group that you said, great job, I'm working hard, actually performed better than the group who you said, great job getting an A. Well, you've seen all the studies too. I mean, dopamine, which is our pleasure chemical in our brain, you're getting massive doses of it in the pursuit of the goal. And when you hit it, it falls off the charts down once you get it. It's like you, like you get a big tour that you want to do, man, you're on stage and pursuing it immediately. I don't know if you're me, but immediately I walk off stage and I'm done speaking. Like no matter how many, I just did some deal at MGM. There's like 20,000 people there. I walked off. It was great. I was up there. I was in my zone. I walked off crash. I don't know. Do you have that at all? And not a crash where I got to go to sleep, but it's like, uh, it's like I went to dinner and then mm-hmm. I come off stage and I'm like, oh, I'm right, going to go watch some Netflix. Yes, there's, yeah. there's, uh, it, yeah. I mean, I won't call it a crash, but it's, it's for me, it's like, I could have a great set. I pick out the thing that I didn't go well. Me too. You know, that's, me too. I look at a group of people in the audience. Everybody's laughing. The one guy sitting there like this. Yes. I focus in on that guy going, why are you laughing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yes, me too. Uh, That's what I mean by the crash. Yeah. I'll pick apart the stuff, yeah. right? And I just, look, and I want to be really clear. My dad was an old school dude, and I'm really grateful that my dad did that. If my wife only raised our children, they would probably never leave the house at 46. They'd be watching Netflix still, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a, a yin and a yang to this stuff, right? Like, one of the hard things in raising a kid today is to get them to distinguish themselves from everybody else on their phones, to get them to want to achieve. It's sort of like culture now to like, hey, just enjoy your life, man. Backpack through Italy for nine years or whatever. Like, no, that's not how it works in my house, right? Like, right. we're going to go. A lot of these influencers, you know, that are out there that are my peers will say, hey, you're going to live a long time. Enjoy your 20s and 30s. Like, that's a big thing in my space. I'm kind of the one guy going, eh, I don't agree with that at all. Mm. I got wealthy young. Zuckerberg got wealthy young. Elon Musk got wealthy young. LeBron did pretty well young. Like, you can do a lot of things young in this world today. In fact, I think it's the reverse. With these phones, with technology, with AI, with all these things coming, you can start doing things in your teens and 20s that it took people 30 years to go do. Mm-hmm. So I want I like achievement culture. I like accumulation. I like all that. I'm just saying you could actually probably do both. And we're programmed to believe either you're going to go get a bunch of stuff or you're going to be like this kid smoking pot sitting on the couch all day long, right? And I'm saying in this day and age, I think there's an like my kids had jobs at 16. They bought their own cars. Like remember my daughter coming out of second grade one day and she looks up at me precious little face she goes daddy are we rich what do you say and i went oh i don't i don't know honey how, how much money do you have she goes i have six dollars grandma gave me five I have six dollars i go you're broke you're broke sweetheart i go i don't know if daddy's rich but you're broke she goes i huh, i am i go i don't know if daddy's rich or not and all of her upbringing i've tried to Look, I know when I'm, if I'm playing golf somewhere, I don't know if you can do this or not. If I'm playing golf, and I don't mean this rudely at all because my kids grew up in abundance, but I almost know within five minutes when I meet somebody if they were raised with money. I can tell when I, especially a man, I could just tell. And I don't mean this rudely. I'm just going to be straight. There's a softness that I sense early on in them. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a thing. There's a lack of, 
intensity, a lack of pace, a lack of in a hurry. Like there's that yeah. thing. You know what I mean? I'm like, let's go. Right. 100%. And, so, and so I wanted my kids to have that thing. Right. I got Work. the benefit of this, right. this grind, this prove it. I want to be somebody, this chip. Same time. I don't think they have to hate themselves to do it, right? right? But I, if I have to err on the side of the two, I'd rather them have the grind and work on their emotional makeup because you lose your kid and that thing to do something. Yeah. I don't know that you get them back at 30 years old where they go, now I'm going to work hard. Now I'm going to... That's more rare. Whereas I think you can figure yourself out emotionally and mentally as you age. So I wanted them to have that. That was a big, big thing I was worried about with my kids. nature versus nurture and it mm -hmm. sounds like you're like almost more of a nurture guy mm -hmm. my wife and i argue about this because after having two kids being a pediatrician even seeing twins i don't even know why there's a debate i think it's pretty much all nature and we do a little bit of nurturing because mm -hmm. when two kids come out we don't parent different enough to cause different things mm -hmm. we joke i know which one of my girls were having ice sculptures and sushi bars at the wedding i know which one's coming home on the back of a motorcycle from vegas and mm -hmm. this is how they were when they were six months old nine months old things like that yeah. my wife feels it's a 50 50 thing they learn they see us work hard they model themselves after we try to instill that grit, that drive. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that balance is? Oh, I think a lot of it is definitely nature. I mean, yeah. I got two. I got my son. He's a sweetie pie. He's kind. He's gentle. He's generous. He's just, he just is. Yeah. Everyone likes him. They meet him. My daughter, she's wild. Yeah. And my daughter's me for the most part. Yeah. And my son is my wife. Yeah. Now, knowing that, here's a big thing I do like in my work, setting aside my kids that I've done a decent job with my kids. And by the way, if I've made it sound like I have any of this figured out today, what a terrible way to come across because I have no, I no, have no, definitely no, none not, of us do. No, Trust definitely me. not. But what I have like, here's I think life's not that really that difficult. You got to figure out what your giftedness is. And the sooner you can do that, the better. And whatever that gift, people underestimate giftedness too. They're like, well, I'm not, I don't have Musk's brain or I don't have, you know, Phil Heath, the bodybuilder's strength. I can't 360 dunk like LeBron. Those are obvious gifts. Gifts can be your nurturing ability, your kindness, your gentleness, your humor, your intellect, your problem solving, your relentlessness, your toughness, um, your innovativeness. There's all kinds of gifts. So early on with my kids, I started to try to, I don't want to pigeonhole them, but identify what is their thing with my son who's unbelievably uncoordinated. To this day, seriously, sitting here, I do not know, nor does my wife, whether my boy Max is left or right-handed. I do not know. Wow. Like he strike out 46 times left-handed in Little League, 48 right-handed. I'm like, you're a switch hitter, Max. <laughs> we played flag football. If your kids play flag football, my kid blocked. But you're the blocker. That means don't touch the ball, stay out of the way. Right. Basketball, one year he scored two points the whole year. It was a rebound off his dome back into the basket. <laughs> Golf, six years, left-handed clubs, right-handed clubs. One thing my kid has, he will outwork your ass. Because one thing that my kids did see, that thank God, was that they saw me work really hard. If you ask my kids a lot of things, I don't know what they'd say about me. They go, "Who's the hardest working human being you've ever known in your life?" They'd say, "My dad." I love that they've mm -hmm. connected this stuff to four a.m. wake up sometimes, right? And getting home at one, not every day, getting home at one. Dad's in his office at nine thirty working on something. So my kid, even though he wasn't any good at golf, would get up and hit balls before school without me having to tell him to. And then after school, we lived in the deserts, 110 degrees to go hit balls. Somehow he built himself into a college golf scholarship. Wow. And then now he's playing professional tournaments. He's qualifying for the Asian tour in a couple of weeks. Like 
And this is not a physically gifted kid. So once I figured that, I said, Max, your giftedness, you'll outwork everybody. You're tough. You got emotional control. You're not like your dad where you get crazy high and crazy low, man. You're even, that's perfect for golf, perfect for sports. You're the dude who makes a bogey, comes back and makes a birdie. Yeah. You're the dude who makes the big putt. That's it. Bella Boo, it's your brain. You're so brilliant. You're so smart. You're, she's hilarious. Like you're so witty. Early on, I started poking at their gifts and repeating them over. They have other ones than that, but poking into their gifts and repeating it over and over and over again. That's the part of nurture that I think I did a good job of. They have a nature, and I want to nurture that nature. Yeah. My son's nature is his kindness. His nature is his peace. His nature is his work ethic. My daughter's nature is her intensity, her intellect, her wit, her humor. Everyone likes her when they meet her. So those are her, their natures. I want to nurture those things and use them in a, a productive direction. I did a pretty good job of that. Mm. Uh, you said something, 4 a.m., get home at 1 p.m. Do you reflect back on those days and go, did I work too much? Should I have been with my kids a little bit more? Or is that just the way it was and it works out? I struggle with, am I working too much? How much do I need? Do you struggle with that or is this something that... Yeah, biggest uh, issue... If you then pulled my kids aside and said, okay, the hard work thing, that's great about your dad. What's the other thing? Maybe I wish he was around a little more. Now, luckily, I could afford their mom to be around all the time. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest question because I don't know what would have been lost. But you know what? Here's the truth. Maybe I did my calendar like this, Sebastian. Here's all the stuff I got to get done in my business and work life. And then I fit my family into it. Mm -hmm. I think if I had to do it again, I'd have done a little bit more of let's put the family in here and then work around it. It's hard when you're trying to create momentum in your career, like mm -hmm. yours and, and yours as well. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, I'll get around to it next year. Right now, if I do these two or three things, it'll be a different level and I don't want to lose the momentum. In hindsight, in hindsight, I probably would have adjusted it about 20% more, more mm -hmm. family stuff. Our intuition's pretty good. If your gut is telling you, you're missing a few too many. Is there a way that I could get more creative and have been around a little bit more? The other thing I regret, in all truth, is that uh, when I was there, I should have been there. And there were times, especially when I was younger, that I just wasn't present enough when I was physically. I'm like, yeah, I remember one time, my daughter walked in for like the third time in an hour. And when she walked in, I went, okay, Bella. And I looked at my phone and I caught her eyes when I looked at my phone and she put her head down. She was like six. And I said, my God, I've told her now three times today, who's ever on this phone is more important than her. Mm -hmm. And I'd done it repeatedly. It broke my heart that I did this to my daughter mm -hmm. and I couldn't help myself. I'm an idiot. So I started a new habit. I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. When I get home, they need that first hour or two really bad too. There's different dads too. I'm not a dad. I can't do eight straight hours. Like, I've taken like, some of the no longest. Room, right? I use the restroom longer than any man in the history of the world when my kids were. My wife's like, what the are you doing yeah. in there? Not being out with you guys right now. That's what I'm doing in here, right? So I, I did this thing. I actually started coming home. I'd get to the top of the hill where we live. I'd make all the remaining calls I had to make. Left the phone in the car the first hour when I came home. And my kids now, for about eight years, my came home that first hour. There's nothing in that phone this hour that has to be more important. I come home, Dad's home. How was your day? What happened? Bam. Wow, wow, wow. Really great. Amazing. 
then I'd go back and get to my phone. So it was more my presence level when I was there that was my mistake. Mm. Yeah. See, we're we're all going through the same thing because mm. you know we talked about you know quality more than quantity, mm. and being present is so important. Um, because that was one of the big fights my wife and I got. She said, you know, you you work all the time, and then when you come home, mm. the short amount of time we see you, you're you're there, but you're not there. Yeah. And I'd like to think I'm doing a better job. The first I said, you know. Like you, I said, what what immediate change can I make right now that will make a maximum difference? Mm. And the first thing was getting home and putting my phone on the charger and away because sitting at the dinner table and I'm just, you know, and I'm doing work. You know, this isn't fun. And that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. But honey, I'm doing work. I'm trying to support the family. I'm Mm -hmm. doing all these things. No, but that that's not meaningful to the children, mm-hmm. to your girls right now. And then they're going to model that behavior when we're talking to them. They're going to be doing that. You're right. And it's so hard because I think it's so important. Create a couple routines and disciplines and habits that override your lack of ability as a dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in my case, it's like, I, I got to leave in the car. If I put it on the charger, I would find you a find way to it. go grab yeah, that thing. It's just me. So like even, you know, for me to get up in the morning. My phone isn't by my bed because I'm the type of dude, if I get up, I'll grab my phone. I'm right into my problems. Yeah. So it's actually up near my... <laughs> I'm right into my it's, well, what That's what's in there. When right? you wake up, it it's is. not, hey, I love you. You're the amazing. You it's like, at, do this right? email. Here's this problem. This right. thing blew out. This thing canceled. And then you start your day reacting or, excuse me, responding yeah. rather than dictating the terms of your day. So like that first hour, I'm not on the thing. It's the hardest thing in the world for me is not to touch my phone the first hour. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to have my day work that way. So, you know, I just, I look back, like I'm, I'm 52 now. And life tells you a lot. And you know the truth is, man, my dad used to tell me this, and he was right. He used to tell me, he goes, Eddie, when all this stuff washes out, it's going to be your family. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be your family. These friends you got, they're your friends. It's not like they're fake, but Eddie, it, the, and the older I've gotten, this is just true. My circle's smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And the truth is, my favorite people, man, at this age are my two babies and my wife. They're my favorite people, man. They're my whole, it makes me emotional because why did I have to wait this long to figure that out? They were always my favorite, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? Man, like, that's it. You know who's going to be there when I'm, I was with my dad when he took his last breath? My dad lived 70-something years, 74 years. At the end of my dad's entire life, we're, he was in his living room. We brought him home, and he's in hospice. And I thought watching my dad, I was with my dad when he took his last breath, holding his hand. You know, it was in my dad's life at that time his wife of 50 years and his three children his three daughters and his son his four children my dad's whole life was in that room when he took his last breath it wasn't his buddy from the golf course it wasn't some pal from when he grew up it wasn't his high school best friend it was his children and his wife that's what mattered to my dad and then when my dad died it was really fascinating moment this hard for me, but my dad takes his last breath and then it's going to be like an hour and a half before this hearse comes to take my dad. My mom didn't want to be in the room with him and my sisters didn't. It's just, so I'm like, I'd love to be with dad. I'll stay with him. So I'm with my dad and about five minutes into it, something occurred to me like deeply. I'm in my dad's living room, the chair that my dad sat in watching every golf tournament and football game with me was right next to the bed he was in. And I'm holding my dad's hand still. And it occurred to me, he's gone. My dad's not here. My dad is not here anymore. I mean, that seems obvious, but it wasn't my dad. His body was there, but that's not who my dad was. My dad's awards and accumulations were up on the mantle there. That's not, my dad wasn't those. 
I'm in his house. That wasn't him. My dad had problems still when he died. That wasn't him. My dad was a spirit and a soul. No matter what you believe about that stuff, he was an energy and it had left and gone somewhere. Now, in my faith, he's in heaven. But it dawned on me in those moments, like, like who am I then? Who am I? I mean, this is real serious stuff for a yeah, funny show. Yeah, We're like, yeah. who am I? Like, I'm not all this shit I'm accumulating. I'm not my house. I'm not this body. My whole life is these two children and my wife. That's my life. And my dad and my, the people that, that are my people. And my soul and my spirit and what I, the difference I make. And so you can't take all that stuff with you. However, you can leave some things here. You do leave it here. Mm-hmm. My dad left here the fact that he got sober and helped thousands of other people get sober. My dad gave me my ethical and moral compass, the way he treated humans. Even though he's a tough dude, like my dad's the dude who'd give you anything, shirt off his back. I've seen more dudes with signs on freeways get my dad's last 10 bucks than any human I've ever seen. My overall disposition as a decent human came from my dad. That energy he mm-hmm. gave me, that's what he left behind in his children and his wife. And his grandchildren at some point, right? Mm. So it's a really profound moment. It took me too late in life to realize. Mm. Well, it's. Uh, I'm glad I'm hearing it now when my mm. kids are. I'm, mm. I'm 50 and I got six and four year olds. So yeah. I'm always. I'm I talk about thinking. I'm always thinking, and I think we talk about this. Are we doing a good job as parents? Is, can I be doing something better? Am I missing a moment right now when I'm doing this podcast that my son is crying right now mm-hmm. at camp? By the way, I'm running a full blown camp in the backyard. Are you? Yeah, <laughs> eighteen kids in the backyard. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and 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 I I look at uh, discipline right in your relationship with your wife. And you said the kids would be watching Netflix at 46 years old if, if you weren't in the picture. Were you on the same page with her when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to disciplining the kids? I'll give you a little small example. My, my wife don't get mad. She don't raise her voice. It's sometimes firm, but I'm more the guy that comes in the room going, is there a problem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, then, mm-hmm. and then I get, you know, you're, you're too aggressive, mm-hmm. you're too, you know. Is that the same in your relationship, or were you both balls out, you know, not yelling and screaming, but more mm-hmm. like... A- Very different, man. And uh, as they got older... Uh, okay, so here's the deal. My wife doesn't get mad, doesn't raise her voice, and also a little bit, I love you, but, like, she wanted to be their friend. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, look, I'm their, we're their parent. There's mm-hmm. a difference here, right? So... So, no, very different. And one of the hard parts, honestly, was I had the combination of the two things of not being around the most and then when I was there, being the disciplinarian. Mm -hmm. So that's also something you got to discuss with your spouse. If you're the one there less, plus you have to do all the disciplining. So it was a little bit of like, she's the easy one. Then you play mom against dad. When they got a little bit older, I finally sat down. I said, listen, we're going to lose them if we can't agree on what these boundaries and standards are. So like one thing we've not established, like in all my businesses, I'm like, we got a culture, we got an ego. I want them to have a Milet team ego. I always saw my kids going, well, Milets are gonna do something awesome. This family's gonna do something awesome. And I mean it, like that may sound motivational, but we do great stuff, we help people. We're, I want them to have a little swagger to be in a Milet, right? Mm-hmm. No one ever did that. Mm-hmm. Me, I was like, I come from a bunch of alcoholics and drug addicts. I wanted, I say in every family, there's the one. 
in every family. It's part of the work I do. You meet a very rich family, somewhere back in their lineage, they weren't until the one shows up. Uh-huh. And that one changes it generationally. You meet a really happy, joyous, laughing, loving family, somewhere back they weren't. And then the one shows up. Uh-huh. I'm the one in my family. I'm the one working the late nights. I'm the one taking the, I'm going to change my family. The mylets are going to be different. The world's not going to have their thumb on the mylets anymore. And we're going to call the damn shots. And my kids are going to get a decent education, and we're going to still be good people. So I've told my wife when they started to become teenagers, we got to get on the same page here. You need to start to have my back on this stuff, and you need to start to carry more of the water. Please do this. Please do it. And she did evolve a little bit. But I was always the disciplinarian, and frankly, it morphed, Sebastian. As they got older, I became the one that was more like, babe. Take well, it, no. take it easy. Like, right. Like, cause especially with your daughter and your wife, there's something that happens with daughters and, and moms in the teenage years. That is a dangerous time mm-hmm. where they start competing or rebelling, or I don't know what it is, but I've watched this with lots of my friends too. And I became kind of the, let's take it down a notch. Everything's going to be okay here. So it's interesting over time, how that shifted. Mm. Um, I do think it's one of the most important things as parents, those to get on some same page on yeah. that stuff. Right. And we finally did, but it took a long time. It was, a, it was a source of like legit contention in my house for a long time. Mm-hmm. No, it's, yeah. it's important. I mean, because parents can do it differently, moms, dads, mm-hmm. but there has to be some sort of common front, or at least the kids see that. They don't see the constant infighting. Because mm-hmm. you know this. I mean, one of our early things, one of our biggest discussions, we've been together for 25 plus years too, after we had Aubrey, was every time I tried to do something the way I wanted to do it, I got a comment about it. Mm-hmm. And this was hard on two two fronts. One, I'm technically the specialist. Two, I'm also a dad and I just want to do it my dad way, mm-hmm. you know, without any input. And we had a really big sit down. I was like, listen, for these two reasons, I get it. You can do it your way. I can do it my way. We can get to the same end point, but we also, you know, have to be able to do that without, mm-hmm. without fighting about it. So it was really interesting. In hindsight, I'll tell you one thing my wife did well, really well. She framed me well, mm. meaning like when I was gone, she goes, daddy's helping people. Daddy's helping people. Daddy's yeah. willing for our family. So she would frame what me being gone meant to my kids. Mm-hmm. That was a really big deal. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if she did it. In t- I teach framing in my work. I think yeah. my wife just did that because she loved me. But my kids, the frame was, there goes daddy helping our family. There goes daddy helping other people. There goes daddy working hard. So she framed it well rather than, I know he's not here. Right. you know. And then also the way I would discipline, she would frame it well. She goes, you know, listen. And, and every house has got to be the one that's a little bit this way and the other way. And your daddy does the hard work here. Your daddy's the one doing it. So she would frame Support, it for right. me. So although we weren't on the same page, she would frame the not mm-hmm. being on the same page in a pretty favorable. You let that stuff go unframed and the kids start taking their own meanings. Yeah. Dad doesn't love me. Dad doesn't believe in me. Dad's always being critical of me. Those things were hard, man. And so she would frame it where it, I think, didn't feel that way to my kids most of the time. Okay. okay. I want to get back to something about that you mentioned about like experiences and, and being, you know, present with our kids. And I just read something and I don't know if the math really works out, but I mean, talk about bringing a tear to your eye. It said Mm -hmm. that we're with our children for 18 years when they live with us. And when they leave to go to college, the cumulative time you spend with them for the rest of their life is about a year. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Talk about, right? How sad is that? I know. I know. No, but is that a real thing? I don't know if the math actually works out, but (laughs) it does make sense that we do spend the majority of time front loaded in our lives. (laughs) 
But no, it's all about, you know, the time we spend and enjoying the time yeah, we yeah. spend. Wow. And, you know, my wife is really good about planning, you know, family vacations together and mm. doing things because I think those experiences are, we've talked about more important than the presents people get. Was there a trip you took with your wife or with your kids that you feel was like life-changing for you? We didn't take any trips alone when we should have uh, until my kids were basically grown. Really? Well, she didn't. I remember one time we actually had a planned trip to go to Tahiti. Uh -huh. We're going to Bora Bora. We're in the car driving to the airport. They're like six and four years old. I'm yeah. excited as heck. I can't wait. We got to, my mom's watching them for the week. And we get about three blocks away and she just wouldn't stop crying. My wife would not stop crying. She goes, I, I, I don't want to leave them for a week. I just don't want to. I go, babe, it's not even healthy. Like, she's like, can we just go like down to the Ritz and Laguna for two days and come yeah. back? Mm -hmm. And we literally changed the whole trip. Wow. We didn't go. She, you know, and she just loves them so much. So, what I did do, and in my case, a little bit different, just because we were fortunate enough to do it, I ended up, because I don't love hotels and traveling and bags and noise and other people being around. I just don't, even though I'm- Well, that sounds familiar. I just don't. <laughs> I think you and I may have even talked about this before, this right? This is the closest he's ever yeah, gotten to right, somebody. Right. You know? I, I bought a house uh, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, on a lake. There's just a club there up last there. Week. That you know about that club yeah. that's up there that so many people are a part of, that I was a part of for many, many years. And so I had a place that we would go in the summers. Mm. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. And my kids' memories were all in that place, all those summers up there, being outdoors, not on their phone, all the memories of the summer. And it also allowed me, to, when I would leave, that they would stay there. So that I could go do my, you know, my little mm -hmm. tour or my ever would have to do or go do my business meetings and they would stay in this place. So our version of uh, trips was our summer lake house. Mm -hmm. And I had that as a dream when they were babies that I'm going to work really, really hard to save enough money. And it actually altered in the beginning days what my main house looked like because I could have had a really killer one house. Or I could have a oh, pretty good one and get yeah. this lake place. And I thought I want to have these memories of our family and going there and. And I'm so grateful that I did it. Like my kids really had an amazing life and, and there's ways to do this. Not everyone listening, this is in a financial position to do it, but there's ways to set them as ambitions and goals too, where they're not crazy unreasonable. It doesn't have to be that lake. It yeah. could just be something. So yeah, are all our memories there. And to be honest with you, if you ask my kids, their memories of their dad and their childhood, I'll bet you 95% of them involved that lake. Why? Because at some point their dad actually was fully present. Maybe it took me four or five days of being there. And by the fourth or fifth day, I was like, Ah, I'm here. So that's that was a big one. We were literally talking about this morning. I just got back. We stayed on the lake. And that's what I remember of my childhood. My grandparents had a cottage on a lake on the border of Massachusetts, Connecticut. The whole family, the cousins got together. We learned to water ski before we knew how to swim. Yep. And I wanted to share that with my kids. So we took them last week and I got to teach them how to water ski. And they were tubing all week and kayaking. Yep. And we asked them at the end, how do you rate this trip from one to 10? Mm -hmm. And both of them... 10 out of 10. Yeah. And they both said it was better than going to Greece. It was yeah. better than going to Italy yeah. for all the reasons you just said. And we mm -hmm. were talking about that. It, it's not how much money you spend. It's not where you go. It's it's who you're with yeah. and and creating that memory. 1 million percent. Yeah. And I want to I want to talk about the money thing for, for a second because you didn't grow up with money, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and now you have money. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up middle class mm -hmm. uh went to mcdonald's i didn't get the big mac because i was so aware that my father was working his ass off i didn't want to stretch him out for the big mac so i got mm -hmm. the cheeseburger mm -hmm. hmm. now i knew what it cost to live when i was making mm -hmm. fifty thousand dollars a year as a waiter i knew i had to make my rent i knew i had to make my phone bill and then whatever was left over i could maybe go 
to a, a dinner, not a nice dinner, mm. a dinner that maybe was not Subway. Yeah. Now red, you, red Lobster. Yeah. Yep. Now you got money, mm. and you have no real parameters. You you, mm. you you don't have any experience with it, really, because yep. you're, you're, you're living your entire life with your parents, and then you're struggling. Mm. Is there ever a point, it, do you think, can I spend this? Uh, is it too much? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I... I know I have it, but if I if I spend this chunk, am I ever going to get it back? Yeah. Is it? Are you operating or some some people just spend? They don't give. Yeah, I'm gonna buy a house. Yeah, I know. I'm no gonna budget. buy this. I'm gonna yeah. buy that, and they, they don't even realize. I'm sitting there going, you know, uh, talk about the second house or, or the, even the remodel. We moved into this place before COVID, and it's still got the furniture from the house that we moved mm-hmm. out of. Not that I'm fearful of. We have the money to buy the furniture, but yeah. are we going to remodel? Yeah. We, what should we do? Is there struggles that yeah. you have with having money now mm-hmm. opposed to not having money in the past, and how do you deal with it? Yeah, there is. I uh, So I think you got to know yourself. Some people like can handle lots of debt. I have rich friends who carry tons of debt. Again, go back to my emotional imprinting. I'm a worrier. I'm fearful. Yeah. You know, like... So I'm, I asked you when you did my show, you probably don't remember this, when you did my show, I've only asked this like three or four people, it's just a sense I had like, you afraid you're going to lose this? You afraid? Yeah. And I've asked three people that on the show, the other two said, no, not really. You said, yeah, I am. I do worry about it. So I know me. I won't be happy in that lake house if I owe a fortune on it. So I didn't buy it until I could write a check for it, to be really honest with you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I just know me. I'll sit there and go, I owe 17000 bucks a month on this place. Mm-hmm. I'll relax when it's paid off. So I do have that. I uh, also have all these people that come on my show often. About every third or fourth month, I'll have someone that does anti-aging on my show. I just had Peter Diamandis on. He'll come on in a few weeks. And he's like, I think he can live to 150 with the way peptides are coming and stem cells and these other things. He's like, yeah. and, and, and by the way, even he was a doctor. A lot of David Sinclair, the guy who runs the Harvard uh, anti-aging lab. He's like, look, if you can live another 20 years, you may get a bonus 20. And so I'm like, that's a lot of money you got to have to live that long on the pile you accumulate. Mm -hmm. So I am I try to buy stuff, Sebastian, that I can enjoy and should appreciate. So that's one of my M.O.s. But I do do that. I've done some things recently like I just this sounds insane. You said New England. I'm from New England as well. When I was a little boy. Two, two weekends uh, summer, my grandfather would drive me up to Lake Winnipesaukee, okay. or we would go to Maine, Portland, Maine, and look around. I see these houses on the ocean. I'm like, holy crap. Well, I recently, I bought an island oh. off the coast of Portland, Maine, and so, that's costing me a fortune. I'm, right? I'm going yeah. to cut yeah. you off. Because I see that, right? Yeah. And me being Italian, we're always mm. trying to figure out, like, mm. I see, this guy fucking got an island. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and all of a sudden, I start to go through the expenses of owning, owning an island, it's right? It's insane. So... Yeah. <laughs> I I often think, am I living too conservatively? Because by I read this book, uh, Die with Zero. Yeah. Right? Did you read that book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do I want to die mm-hmm. with money in the bank, mm-hmm. or do I want to die with zero? Yeah. But what's the truth with you? I already know the answer to this. Well, I mean, I don't. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's it's in his backyard and holes. Yeah. Dog, yeah. You know. Yeah, I, in the but, garden. But can, can I can I yeah. alleviate some of this pressure that I have mm-hmm. um, about spending money or yeah. going the extra mile, yeah. or do I just live till I'm ninety? Going, you bought what? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, there's a, Come on, <laughs> like there's a you know there's a 
there's a nuance. Okay, this is real talk. I do own this island. I'm not going to tell you what it costs, and I'm not going to tell you what it costs to run it because it would blow your yeah, mind. You said okay. island. Right. It doesn't matter what the number is. But I'm going to tell you how the two things work. This is true, I swear to you, on anything. Mm-hmm. My wife still regularly will be at Costco and go, babe, should I buy the 64 water package or the 32 bottles mm-hmm. of water? Like, we're that. It's the most bizarre thing where I still have this very micro, like, curmudgeon save money thing, and then I have this other part of me. It's nuts the way yeah. that I do this. Here's what I think I've learned from my older friends. You start cranking out grandkids, your legacy starts to change. And I don't know where the world's going, and I'm not trying to give you any conspiracy theories because I really don't know, and I'm not one of those dudes, and I'm not even particularly political. But I don't like the way I see the world going. And I want to have an independent family. I want us to be able to be safe and protected and call shots. And, you know, there's all this talk of what's even coming this fall again in terms of the virus again and all this other. I don't know where this world's going. I know this. It'd be better to have some cash when I'm going through that world than to just have a bunch of stuff that I'm driving around and wearing on my wrist. Mm -hmm. And so, no, for me... I'm always going to play it pretty conservatively. What I have done once I got wealthy is I go, here's 20% of our stuff, whatever that 20% of our stuff is, I can gamble it, blow it, spend it, enjoy it, et cetera. The 80% of our stuff, I don't touch and I've never touched it. So I'm sort of in between the two. There's a, you know, the, the millionaire next door is another book where like you just hoard every dollar. I didn't work this hard in my life. To not have some experiences as a family, not be able to contribute when someone really needs something like the stuff that just happened in Hawaii or when the Evaldi school shooting happened. I was like, all right, cool. I'll give all the money from my book away for it. So I like being able to do that because I got cash. Also, cash, when the world gets really bad, you can make deals on stuff. I mean, you've joked about this stuff, but in the real world, in really bad economic cycles, when I've had money and other dudes haven't, I've been able to pick off stuff at 30% of its value because I was smart. So now nah, I'm going to save, man. I just know me. I I am scared of being broke. Mm-hmm. I am more scared of being broke than I am excited about being rich. <laughs> it's just true. Are you taking, so, uh, are you taking applications for the MyLeft family? Uh, just, <laughs> like, I mean, they, uh, to this day, know. when you go play Vegas, do you gamble? No. Me either. No. I go to I, Vegas to speak 30, 30 nights a year. I don't go. Here's why. Winning a grand no longer feels any good to me. No. But losing 20 bucks... Kills me. Kills me. It I kills still gamble me. despite that exact yeah, no, feeling. I know it doesn't feel good. So I know me. The, the the sick thing about gambling for me was I used to go to Vegas and I gamble and hopefully win money so that would give me an opportunity not to work as a waiter and focus my energy towards stand up. Mm-hmm. That never worked. <laughs> <laughs> so the only way I feel that you leave a casino with money is if you perform there. Right? That, that, that's it. And to your point. I can't even sit at a blackjack table anymore mm. and lose it. And, and and the money that I'm able to win at a blackjack table doesn't even compare to what I just made at the theater, of right? Course, of course. So it, it's, just, it's, it's not fun exactly. for me. <laughs> me either. To gamble. Me either. Yeah, so it's not working for me because I go with you. <laughs> he does his show, makes money, and he literally then, talk about the downer, he just yeah. goes to sleep. Yep. And then yep. I go to the table, so I leave net negative. You leave <laughs> net positive. In with a good night's I'm not sleep. coming with you anymore. <laughs> We're over it. I'm done. That's awesome. We're winding down here. I just wanted to ask a couple more questions. Do you motivate your kids? Mm-hmm. Does that same type of motivational skill set that you have on stage mm-hmm. translate to getting like, do you ever walk in your kid's room and go, we got a max out today? And they're like, fuck that. They're like, yes. No. Surprisingly, I do. So you'd be surprised. I don't get the eye rolls on that that you would think that I would get like, all right, dad, we get it. 
So um, I do it a little bit differently. I'll tell you something personal. When they were, I won't tell you why I did it because it's too long of a story, but when my son was born, I just know what it's like to grow up with no confidence. So I remember this vividly. Max ended up having the cord wrapped around his neck, so it was an emergency C-section. Long story short, I'll make it as quick as I can. He comes out, and he's okay. Mom's over there. They're putting mom back together, and they have me come cut the cord. And I don't, I don't know exactly why I did this, but as I was cutting his cord, I look at my son, and I said, Maximus. I didn't know that was going to be his name. We had watched Gladiator the night before. I go, your name's Maximus. I said, man, you're a gladiator. You're a leader. You're a champion. You're the greatest of all time. You're a good boy. You're going to have an amazing life. You got daddy's blue eyes. You're so awesome, Max. I love you. My daughter was born. Bella Boo, you're so funny. You're so beautiful. You're so smart. So I'm cutting her cord. Mm. I love you so much. You're going to have such an amazing life. People are going to love you. I've screwed everything up as a dad. Every single day of their life, I have repeated that to them. Every day. So when they come and say their prayers, and I said, Maximus, you're a gladiator, man. You're a stud. Now, at certain age, especially my daughter, Dad, I got it. All right, whatever. Bella Boo, you got daddy's blue eyes. You're so beautiful. You're so smart. I love People love you. You're so amazing. My daughter gave me the eye roll. I drop her off at Clemson. And as I'm leaving, she's her, all the kids are in her dorm room and a couple of them were followed me and wanted to meet me. And so I said, um, she goes, dad, don't do it in front of them when I'm leaving. Don't do it. I go, I don't have to do it. I, here's a, just take this note. And I wrote my daughter a note and in the note it said, I just want to remind you, you're a superstar. You're amazing. People love you. And I left her the note in writing. About three months later, my wife and I come to visit her. It's raining. All the kids are back in the dorm room. And when I come in there, I meet the kids. And as we're walking out, this is my daughter's been rolling her eyes since she's 15 at me doing this every day. As I'm walking out, one of the boys goes, Bella Boo, tell him to do it. And I go, tell me to do what? And she goes, oh, Mr. Milet, that she's a superstar, that she's beautiful, that she's... I go, you told them? She goes, yeah, Dad. I read that note every day. So I take her to dinner. I take her to dinner. And yeah, we drop her back I got off. Nothing. Now check this out. I drop her back off. It's raining, and she gets out of the Uber. And I go, "See ya," with her mom. I go, "See ya." She goes, "Okay." And I watch my precious little girl walk back over, walk back over to the dorm. She's about to open the door, and I'm still at the car. It's raining. She turns back around. She goes, "Daddy." I go, "What?" She goes, "You didn't do it." And I go, "Okay, come here." And she runs up to me. She's 18 years old. Runs up, hugs me, and I go, "You're a superstar, Bella Boo." I love you. You're so smart. You got daddy's blue eyes. Look at that. You got my blue eyes. People love you. You're brilliant. It's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's it's That's affected their identity, man. Listen. Yeah. As you're telling this story, I'm over. I'm going when I when I when I tell my <laughs> at night, I tell my daughter. Good night. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta start. I gotta start Sometimes I just go to sleep. I don't, I don't say anything. Oh, you, oh, oh my dude. gosh! Dude. The, the fact that you have the awareness, like when I was cutting the umbilical cord, I'm like, "Am I doing it right?" Well, me like, too. Yeah. But but the, the the fact that you're going, you're gonna be great. This or that. I, I would. I mean, that's not. Well, the, the, the problem is, any of you done that? Yeah. <laughs> but the, it's the, my motive. You asked me if I motivate them. No, I don't give them. Pep yeah, talks. I know, but, but I've Jesus. done this. And man, hey, listen, the reason I did it, if this is true. I this, go back to the beginning of the interview. I know what it's going to go. Shut up. Yeah. Get your shit together. 
Come on. Pick it up. Let's yeah. go. I know what that's like. And I'm like, I'm going to do this yeah. differently. So of all the stuff I've screwed up, man, I've done that. Amazing. I mean, the problem now is that Lexi's going to say to me, why do you keep calling me Bella Blue? And I, <laughs> and, 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 and I have green eyes. I have green eyes. <laughs> oh, my awesome. God. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you uh, taking the time oh, out. Sure. We had an absolute, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for days, but uh, you, we, had, we had an absolute blast. Uh, you shed so much light, not only on parenting, but just life in general, Thanks, and you are uh, a true gem. Thank you for coming and, and spending some time. Love being you. here, man. Thanks for having me. Man, there you have it. Daddy versus Dr. Ed Milet. Check him out on his podcast and everywhere on the internet. The opinions expressed in this program are not intended as professional medical advice, as a diagnosis, as a treatment protocol, or as a substitute for professional medical advice from your physician. Please consider your own medical history and consult with your own physician for your specific health care and or medical needs and about your concerns for yourself and your family.